Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to spend some time with you out of this letter the Apostle Paul wrote. And so, hope you have a Bible. We don't have extra ones there. We probably should get some of those. If you have a Bible app, you can turn to that. Ephesians chapter 6. Just really sensing in my heart that uh, there are people that are under oppression and affliction. Some of those I know. Some of those people I know uh, what's going on, and some I don't know. And so please pray. Pray for one another. We're going to talk about battling for prayer uh, tonight. I just really sense the Lord wants us to talk about this, and so let's get into that. Uh, and I'll, here's an honest truth. Are you ready? This is something, I don't know if you've ever heard a pastor or preacher say this, but the greatest thing I can do for you is not preaching. It is not preaching. It's praying for you. That is the greatest thing that I can do for you or for people, for a church, a pastor who prays for his people. And so I want you to know that I believe in preaching. I mean, I love to preach. Uh, I love the Word of God. I love opening the Word of God. I do think it's a serious thing. But even more than that is when I get on my face before God and often on my floor, Whoa, and there was light. And so I get on my face, literally on my rug, and I pray for you. And so that is the greater, greater work. Why is that? Because God, if I can get God to look down on Harvest Reading and on your lives individually and do amazing things, that is the greater work. Because honestly, honestly, you're not going to remember a word I say in about 24 hours. If I were to call you up, hey, what was the message? You know, what was the outline? Uh, I'm not even going to remember, and I preach the thing. People ask me a week later, so what was it about? I'm like, let me think about that. It's just the way it is. But if I can pray for you and get God's heart to turn towards you and to supply your needs and to love on you and deliver you and heal you and all of that, then that's the greater work. I want to talk about prayer being a battle because it is a battle. Throughout Scripture, the Bible repeatedly speaks about warfare, battles, and fights. Paul said, I fought the good fight. He said that in Timothy at the end of his life. I have fought the good fight. He also said in Corinthians, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly to the pulling down of strongholds, things in our mind, lofty things, false teachings about Jesus in the world. All of those things can get into our mind. And so the Bible, Jesus Christ, who he is, that's the weapons that will fight against that. Paul said it's warfare. Peter said this in his letter. He said waging warfare. He says that uh, uh, sin is warring against our soul. Psalm 35, 1, David said, Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and rise for my help. He goes on to say, Draw a spear and a javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Psalm 18, verse 39 says, For you equipped me with strength for the battle. 24.8 of the Psalms, I'm still there. Who is the king of glory, he said? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, strong in battle. 140, verse 7 said, you have covered my head in the day of battle. 144, verse 1, you have trained my hands for war. When it comes to prayer, we need to battle for it. You need to battle for your wayward son. You need to battle for your husband who's not walking with the Lord. You need a battle for your wife who has cancer. You got a battle for that, for that disease to be healed, for her soul to be touched. You got a battle for those things. We got a battle for this church, for it to succeed and for it to thrive and for it to make it to where it's supposed to go. You got a battle for that thing. I titled this message The Battle for Prayer. The Battle for Prayer. Some people need deliverance. 
some people need to be delivered tonight from something that's afflicting you, an oppression, a depression, something that's afflicting your mind and your soul and your heart. We battle for those things. There's a lot of battles in the Bible. We have the battle of Jericho, the battle of Ai, the battle with the Philistines. You're familiar with the battle against Babylon and the battle of Megiddo. There's a battle coming called Armageddon. You're probably familiar with that. You've heard that before in the book of Revelation. James 4.1 says, Why cause fights among you? Is it not your, your passions or your desires that are at war within you? We've been battling ever since we were born. There's a battle. I remember my, my brothers and I have an older brother and a younger brother. I'm the confused middle child. And so, any other confused middle children here? Just a few of us, right? Three, actually. That, that's awesome. We're going to have a little support group. Just us, you know. My brothers and I have an older brother. He is a very, very fast runner. Uh, I'm not a very fast runner. And so I have a younger brother, two years younger. And so my older brother and I would scrap all the time. He was like a Cincinnati Reds fan. I mean, come on, seriously? You know, and I was a Phillies fan. This is growing up. And so I would watch the Phillies against the Reds. The Reds would always beat the Phillies. We would have words. We would start wrestling around. It turned into punching. And so one fight broke out between my brother and I. And, and again, he's a faster runner. So we're out in the yard. I'm running around the house like I can't let him catch me. There's a Coke can that's on the ground, and it's in the days when you had the little peel-back lid, and so I was thinking like MacGyver, and so I grabbed that Coke can really fast, peeled it back, put it on my finger, turned around, and punched him in the gut and slid his gut open. And he's standing there, and he's bleeding. Then he looks up at me. He's like, and I was like, uh-oh. And then I ran even faster to get away. He still has a scar. It's about an inch right on his stomach from that. We understand battles, wars, fights from within and on the outside. I want to put that in the context of prayer tonight. I don't know if you knew this. There's 22 wars going on in our world right now. Uh, if you're a history fan, as I am, I, I love history. I just love history. Uh, the most killed in a war, the most killed, World War II, most casualties. 56 million people died in World War II. In 3,400 years of recorded history, there's only been 268 years that were completely peaceful. Imagine that. Lots of battles, lots of wars, lots of fights. Two soldiers a day will die in some form of battle or war. Ephesians chapter 6, it's a great, great chapter. I want to go through verses 10 verse, down to verse 18 and some principles for battling for prayer. Number one, write this down. We battle by positioning ourselves in the strength and the power of God. Number one, you got to position yourself. Now watch this because some of you need to get this place of prayer so ramped up because you got some things that are in your world and you're wondering, is it ever going to change? Can anything ever really happen that will make a change forever? Salvation of a lost one that you love. Whatever it may be. you got to position yourself in the strength and the power of God. Look at chapter 6, verse 10. This is where I want to start. Because Paul's writing this letter to the Ephesian Christians, he said this in Corinthians, be steadfast and immovable. The battleful prayer is about positioning. Verse 10, finally, be strong where? What's it say? In the Lord. Does it say be strong in Chris? Does it say be strong in Brett? Are you strong enough, Brett? No, none of us are. You got to be strong in the Lord. And what's it say after that? And in the strength of whose might? His might. Can we say that all? Let's say his might. You ready? One, two, three, go. His might. It's got to be his might. We position ourselves. Played baseball when I was growing up. You would see this in any sport. 
there are, there are athletes that position themselves. So a baseball player will come to the plate. What's the first thing they will do? Other than like nasty spit, right? They'll do that. But they'll position themselves. They'll put their feet into the dirt, and they're getting themselves positioned for the pitch that's going to be coming. If you're a football fan, we've got some football fans in the house. Just one. It's okay. And so line of scrimmage. Guys will get on the line of scrimmage, and they'll, they'll position their feet. They'll get ready for another 300-pound guy to be coming right at them. It's positioning. If you're in basketball, you're a free throw, at the free throw line, you're going to position yourself. You're going to get your feet there. Position. It's all about positioning. Paul said, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Look at verse 11. He uses the word stand. Look at there with your own eyes. Verse 11, the word stand. You see that? Say amen if you actually see that with your own eyes. Again, only five of us. Okay, so if you see that, say amen. Let me hear you. Okay, we got verse 11. It says stand. Look at verse 13, stand firm. And then verse 14, what does it say? It says stand again. Back in chapter 2, don't go there. 2 verse 2, Paul talks about the Christian walk, and he uses this term. He says, in which you once walked. Talking about the Christian life. He talked about good works in verse 10, that we should walk in them. Chapter 4, verse 1, that we walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. 4.17, no longer walk as the Gentiles. In other words, don't walk like a non-Christian anymore. Walk as a Christian. He's using this term walk. In 5.2, he said walk in love. In verse 7 and verse 15, he says the same thing. He's using this term walk, but then he transitions in chapter 6 to this word stand. So walk, walk is implying Christian movement. It's, it's growth. You're moving. You're going somewhere. Now, if you want to fight you would think that you have to advance. He's not saying you need to advance when you fight. All you need to do is stand. You need to position yourself. And when you position yourself, you got to position yourself not in you, but in Christ, in the strength and the might of God. In verse 10, he calls it the schemes of the devil. If you want to defeat the enemy and stand against the schemes of the devil, you got to position yourself. There's rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces in verse 12. All of that is against you. All of that is against you. It's against you this past week. You got to know that. If we could glimpse into the supernatural, and we're limited, it's a veil, but when we can get those eyes to glimpse into the supernatural and the spiritual, we would see all kinds of cosmic powers and principalities surrounding your home, in your home, coming up against your kids, that would freak us out. I think God limits that because it would just be too much for us. So he gives us this information here that helps us to understand there's a battle going on here. By standing, we need to stand not in our own strength, but in Christ. Imagine one minute in the ring with Mike Tyson. Does anybody remember who Mike Tyson was? Tough guy. I mean, he is super tough. Imagine one minute in the, in the ring. A million dollars if he would stand in the ring with Mike Tyson. I don't know if I could do that. I'm getting nervous thinking about that. Mike Tyson was a mean dude. He had probably the strongest right-hand punch of any boxer in his day. Can you imagine one of those punches right on your chin, as hard as he could, right on your chin? If that hit me on the chin, I'm telling you my position would change. I would not be upright anymore. It would be nap time. It would be, you're down. You're just done. Why? Because he's strong, stronger than me. The enemy's stronger than you. You guys have been trying to make it in your own strength. It's not happening. just not happening. I said to a pastor, a new pastor friend of mine last night at dinner, we were eating together, my wife and his wife, and, and I said, you know what? God is bringing me to the place where I just can't. 
I just can't. It's like, it's a really cool place to try to be. You know, it's like, God, I can't. I absolutely and completely need you to do everything. Not that you're just back doing nothing. You're lazy. You're not applying yourself. I'm not saying that. But it's like, ultimately, God, there's no way to build this church. There's no way to lead people to Jesus. There's no way to turn Reading around. There's no way for me to pray for all of your needs in a way that I just can't do that without the power and the might and the strength of God. So I got to position myself in his strength, in his might. The battle for prayer is supernatural. And resisting the devil, the Bible says in James, he will flee. Satan is trying to separate you from your fellowship with God. He can't do it relationally. He can't separate it in the sense of losing your salvation. It won't happen. Peter talks about it being secure. Talks about an inheritance that's incorruptible. It doesn't fade away. You can't lose your salvation. But what the devil can do is he can get between you and the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And he can cause that fellowship to be jeopardized. That intimacy. That's what he's going after. Man, I know that well. I know that you know that well. Some of you feel a million miles away from God tonight. A million miles. Who's responsible for that ultimately? The devil. But we give in to that. We don't battle as we should. Listen, when praying stops, strength leaves our lives. Our position isn't strong in God when we're not in speaking terms with God. Do you know the average pastor? The average pastor only prays five minutes a day. Five minutes. If, if the pastor is praying five minutes a day in most evangelical churches all around the country, do you know that the church isn't praying hardly at all? Because where the leader goes, so don't the people. Like people, like priests, it says, I think, in the book of Ezekiel. It's important that we battle in prayer and we start with a position. I did a little research in the Gettysburg. I love that, the Gettysburg uh, National Monument, the, the park there. It's awesome. Went there years ago when I was a kid. Went there a couple of years ago. And uh, the Battle of Little Round Top was a massive, very important battle on Little Round Top. And, and there was this positioning thing that they had to maintain and how they, how that really turned that war around. Very influential little mountain called Little Round Top. Positioning is huge. Position yourself in the strength of God. Number two. Here's, here's another one for battling in prayer. Putting on the pieces of armor that God has provided Putting on, number two, putting on the pieces of armor that God has provided. Look at verse 11. He starts by saying, put on. It's a command. This isn't, hey, this is a good idea, Christian, in Ephesus. He's saying, you better put it on. You got to put this armor on. It's an imperative. And he says, put on the, what's the next word after that? What's it say? It says, whole, complete, every piece. You got to put on the armor of God. Look at verse 13. Down to verse 17. We're going to cover that. you got to put on all of the armor. I like what James McDonald says. He calls uh, praying, praying like this, window-rattling, earth-shaking. That doesn't happen unless you appropriate what God has given to us, which is this military term, armor. Again, verse 11, it's a command. It's an imperative. Put it on. You can't battle in prayer without the protection of, from the attacks of the enemy. And God has said, put on all the armor, every single piece. Verse 13 says, take it up. You'll see that there. In other words, take up every single piece of armor. It wouldn't make any sense. You were going back to a sports metaphor, if, if you went up to the plate with every piece of equipment but a helmet, or you went up to the plate with every piece other than a bat, it just wouldn't make any sense. 
You need every piece if you're an athlete in baseball or football or basketball or hockey. How much more in war? Here's the list of, uh, in verses 13 down, of the, the pieces of armor. Now watch this because this is going to make complete sense to some of you. You're going to go like, doggone it, no wonder my prayer life stinks. No wonder nothing's happening when I pray <laughs> because the armor's not on. Watch this. The belt of truth. It's there. Follow it down. Belt of truth or truthfulness. That's authenticity. That's being real. Listen, if you have a little bit of hypocrisy working in your life and you try to pray and see any kind of fruit from your prayer, it's just not going to happen. We've got to be authentic people. Not perfect, but we've got to be real. You know, real with God, obviously, but real with each other. It's hard to be in the, in the church, isn't it? You ever seen hypocrisy in the church? Have you ever struggled with that kind of that duplicity in your own heart? We all have at various times. Your prayer life is just really not strong in those moments, right? Because you don't have the belt of truth or truthfulness. Here's another one, breastplate of righteousness. That's holiness and purity. Have a lustful thought in your mind. <laughs> have a lustful, selfish, prideful thought in your mind, and you think you're going to be able to pray? Seriously. There's no way we can have that in our mind and in our heart without that breastplate being on it. We can't have that and pray with battling, you know, for the people we love. and for, We just can't have it. There's got to be some holiness there and shoes of peace. That's stability. Peace is the, the gospel of peace, and, and it's the, the peace with God. It's the peace from God in Christ, but it's also the peace that we have in relationship where there's no conflict. You know, it's not me and God not getting along kind of a thing. And that creates stability when you're getting along with God, when you have that peace. Shield of faith, here's another one, another piece of armor. That's trusting God. How many people have doubted God just this past week? Honestly, you've doubted God in some way. Anybody else? Two, three, four, see, I mean, it happens. It's amazing when somebody just leads the way and then all of a sudden it just kind of starts popping up. Everybody's like, ah, it's safe to raise my hand now. Man, it's okay to be authentic in this church and vulnerable. You're saying this is Pennsylvania. They don't do that here. Well, if you're a Christian, God overcomes the Pennsylvania, whatever it is. Shield of faith. Here's another one. Helmet of salvation. That's confidence. That's confidence that God saved you, but he continues to deliver you, and you just know that God is going to come to your rescue. That's a piece of armor. If you take the helmet of salvation off, in other words, you don't have it on, you haven't put it on, and you're not walking in this confidence that God is the deliverer, that he is looking down and he's with you and he's for you, he's not against you, he saved you in conversion, he's saving you all along the way, not in conversion, but in sanctification. He is delivering us in ways we can't even see half the time. And if you lose that confidence, then you're not going to be able to battle in prayer. This pieces of armor is huge. Here's the last one, sword of the spirit, that's scripture. And so if we're not being honest and we're not being holy, we don't have peace with God, we're in conflict somewhere, we're not trusting what he says, and we're not confident in our salvation, we're not regularly in the word of God, then our battle with prayer will be ineffective. It's just that simple. We've got to have the armor on. It protects our prayer life. The Bible repeatedly says that these things need to be on, in place, at all times. The battle for prayer has everything to do with the armor of God. I just want you to go through that list in your mind. You've got to put it on now. What is it? Was it holiness? Put it back on. 
something, something you're looking at, something you're thinking. I don't know what it was. Put that breastplate, say it just, it, just to God right now. God, I want to put that breastplate back on right now. I'm turning from all of that. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't believed you like I should. Some hands popped up just a moment ago. I just want you to say to him just quietly, you don't have to close your eyes or anything, just say, God, uh, forgive me for doubting you. I'm putting that helmet of salvation back on figuratively. I mean, just imagine it in your mind. You're putting it back on. I, I'm confident in you. Watch what happens when you do this. You're going to start to feel different all, all, automatically. You'll just start feeling different. You'll be like, whoa, okay, what's going on? That's because you're putting the armor back on. You've had it off. You haven't had it on. And you're having a hard time talking. Putting things on is difficult. My wife is always, she's always saying, Chris, you need to wear gloves. It's cold outside. You've got to wear gloves. I always forget or I don't wear them. I just don't, I don't know. It just kind of makes my hands like, and so I don't put them on. And if I don't put gloves on in the wintertime, my hands get all chapped. They get really red and they get cracked and they start bleeding. And my wife will be like, see, I told you you should wear gloves. You should wear gloves. And, and so the effects of me not putting it on, I can feel it. It's the same thing with sunscreen in the summertime, man. I just hate sunscreen. You know, it's like, put it on, put it on. I don't, I don't want that on my skin. I don't like the way it feels. I know I got some hang-ups, you know, so I don't put sunscreen on. And so the sun will bake me, and I'll feel the effects of the sunburn. Well, some of you are feeling the effects of, of not being able to battle in prayer because you haven't put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate, sword of the spirit, whatever it may be, the shoes of peace. Those are essential. Number three. Number three. Practicing prayer in every moment of our lives. Not just positioning ourselves in the strength of Jesus. That comes with resisting the, the devil. It comes with realizing I'm weak. I can't do it unless you do it, Jesus. That's positioning. Number two, putting on the armor of God, every single piece, keeping it on. Number three, practicing prayer in every moment of our lives. Verse 18, notice it. Chapter 6, verse 18. Praying at, what's that one word after that? Praying at all times. Praying at all times. We call that in Harvest World unceasing prayer. It's one of our pillars, unceasing prayer. When times are tough and when times are easy. When times are good and when times are bad. When highs, there's highs in our life and then there's lows in our life. We're praying with every moment, in every moment of our lives. When things are smooth sailing and when things are rough. Praying consistently or in every moment is difficult. And here's why it's difficult. And I'm borrowing this from my own personal experience. Maybe you can relate. Are you ready? You're not going to see this on that handout or on the screen. Uh, praying consistently in ev all moments of my life has been hard because of timing. It's like I lift up a prayer. I'm, I'm, I'm asking God. I've been praying for 12 years for a request. I don't even know if it's been answered. I don't think it's been answered, but I don't know in the supernatural. Maybe it's just coming. I'm not sure, but timing. And so we, we, we lose the battle in prayer by not praying consistently and ongoingly because of timing. And our timing is not God's timing. And I've battled with that. How about disappointments? You ever had a disappointment before? How about God answers a prayer, but it's not the way you thought it should be answered? And you got a little disappointment going. It's like, wait a minute, whoa, I, didn't, I wasn't looking for that, Lord. Something like that. It's hard. How about crowded out? You're just a busy guy. You're a busy woman. So much going on. It's hard to pray in every moment of our life when so many things are crowding out. The spiritual. How about an independent spirit? Some of you are just survivors. You know, you you're grow up, grew up without a parent maybe or your parents were absent. You had to survive and... Now you're, you're trying to survive without really just depending on the Lord. You know, it's almost like God is over here wanting to break into your life, but you're so independent 
that, that you're having a hard time praying in every moment of your life for everything. Independent. And then prosperity. It's always hard to pray when things are really going well. I know it's for me, it's hard. When, when times are painful, I, I do a lot of praying, but when times are prosperous, it's, I start to kind of fall away a little bit. It's weird, you know? It's habitual. That's what we need to do. We need to, we need to develop uh, a prayer life that is habitual. It's like breathing. Uh, prayer is like breathing. Uh, you don't have to think about breathing. Right now, you've probably taken in how many breaths? I mean, you, have you thought about every breath that you've taken in the last hour? When you were singing those songs, were you conscious of the fact that you, you breathed in and you breathed out? You know, we just don't. It's habitual. And so it's the same thing with praying unceasingly. I know that we don't think about air unless you're like, like my brothers and I. We were in the swimming pool, and they would take, we would take each other's heads, and we'd just like underneath the water, hold them down underneath the water, you know, and let them stay down there for about a minute or so. When you're down there without air, then you start thinking about air, Right? If you've been sick and you have respiratory issues or you can't breathe through your nose, sinus infection, then you start thinking about the air that you breathe. But other than that, you don't think about the air that you breathe. It's just coming naturally. In fact, the atmospheric pressure in our world is such that it's pressing on our lungs and it's causing our lungs to contract and then they expand. It's atmospheric too. And so there's two principles there. We need to be praying so habitually that we're not even thinking about it. It's just talking to the Lord ongoing all the time, every moment in every situation. But even when the atmosphere is painful and hard, you'll find it's pushing on your prayer life. It pushes on you, and you're like, and then you lift it up to the Lord. It's, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. You need to be praying habitually. Praying is like uh, practicing an instrument. If you have an instrument you want to learn how to play it, you've got to practice it. I really love uh, what, what Scott and the others do, Hannah on the violin and Jess on the keyboards. I mean, there's no way I can, I can carry the thing for her. I can, I can, like, carry Scott's guitars. That's about all I can do. I can't play those things. So it's really impressive to me that they can do that. But they've been practicing a while. Hasn't been practicing a while, right? A long time. Uh, can you imagine if I got up there right now and started to try something? You'd be like, just stick to something else, you know? It's like, because you need to practice, it's the same thing with praying. The more you pray, the better you'll get at it. I remember a scene in Meet the Parents. Remember, what's his name, Ben Stiller? And Ben's around the dinner table, and uh, his character. And the fa- I think the father says, why don't you lead us in prayer? <laughs> you know, and so, and so Ben's like, you know, he gets all serious, and he's looking around, and he's like, dear, dearest father. And, and he's going through this thing, and the people around the table are looking at him like, what is he talking about, you know? And he's trying to impress, you know, the, the people around the table. Why is that? Because he didn't pray, <laughs> and he's trying to pull it off. I've been over some people's houses, Christians, and they feel the pressure. The pastor's here. The pastor's here. And so they, they think they need to pray all of a sudden because they don't pray Monday through Saturday. But then when the pastor shows up, all of a sudden they have to pray. And so they, they're, like, they're like Ben Stiller's character. It's like, and you're listening to them, and it's like, I don't think they've prayed very much in the last week or so. Because they haven't practiced it. They're not doing it. It's, not, it's like, like breathing. It's not an ongoing thing for them. And so it's a very awkward moment. And it's, it's very sad, too, because I, I, I look at that and I'm like, wow, are they really praying in private? Very much, you know? Let me finish with you. Number four, not just positioning ourselves, 
not just putting the armor of God on and practicing praying in every moment of our life. Number four, persisting in it in the Holy Spirit. You'll notice this this little phrase here. Uh, Look at it in verse uh, 18, praying at all times. And that next little phrase, in the Spirit, something that's in tongues. Let's pray in tongues. I don't think it's tongues. And I'm not against tongues. I don't think it's, that's talking about the gift of tongues because Paul, Paul already said that not everybody has the gift of tongues. And so, so he's going to give this admonition so that, that we have to pray in tongues. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't fit the context. I do believe it's talking about the anointing. I do believe it's talking about the Spirit of God filling us and leading us and overwhelming us and carrying us. So it's not really like an ecstatic word coming out of our mouth. It's more this, this, this power of God by the Spirit of God that's enabling us to be able to pray. I think that's what it's talking about. And we persist in it. Luke 18, 1 to 8, don't turn there, but write it down if you want to use that for some devotions tomorrow morning. Luke 18, verses 1 to 8, talks about a woman who is very, very persistent to get an answer. And she doesn't give up. And she gets the answer. Let me ask you a question. I'm going to start to close this. Uh, What does Satan use to try to get us to not persist in prayer? Would anybody venture to say, what is Satan trying to do in your life? What does he use to try to get us to not persist in prayer and by the Spirit of God? What would you think it would be? It's not a trick question. Just throw something out. Distractions would be coming from the sound booth, man. Woo! From the nosebleed section. Definitely for that. Definitely. Anything else come in your mind? What does he use in your life? Think about this. Already, I already know what's going on there. Somebody else, somebody different. It's like the, the devil is trying to, to separate fellowship, stop you from praying so you don't persist. What does he do in your life? I, I'll give you mine, but I want to see if, if we're kind of connecting on doubt. What is that? Busyness or work? Can I be super vulnerable with you right now? Are you ready? Sin. Sin in my life. If I mistreat Lisa, which I do, sin. And that's the enemy saying, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm, this is, I'm in the middle of this thing. I'm in the middle of it because, Chris, I can't steal your salvation, but I can certainly bring this division between you and your father. And it's because of what I did. Mistreating her or, or, or a lustful thought or a prideful reaction or an unkind word or something that I do. When you do something that is sinful, The enemy is taking the sin, and he's trying to separate. He is always trying to divide us from intimacy with God. And so when you sin, honestly, has anybody ever sinned here? Am I the only one that's ever sinned here, even as a Christian? Everybody's hands should be like, that's me. Yes, that's me. I mean, seriously, it's like, he's got two hands. Scott does. You need to repent, man. And so, no, we all sin. I've sinned this past week. And when I sin, you know what happens inside of me? I'm like, Jesus, you seem like a million miles away right now. And Jesus and God, it's even hard for me to even talk to you because the sin, he's using the sin. That's why it's so important tonight if you're holding on to anything. It's causing you not to persist in battling for prayer. And that needs to be repented of and just, just lay it down and just forsake it and just say, I'm sorry, Lord, and And then you'll see your prayer life start to come back in that intimacy and fellowship with the Lord. 
I hate that feeling when I'm not feeling like, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm on top of my game spiritually with me and Jesus. I hate that feeling. And I felt that this week. But sometimes, man, the intimacy is powerful. Sometimes it's like me and God, it's like, but it's the sin. Be careful of that. We want to battle for prayer. And the enemy wants to distract, yes. He wants to use all kinds of things like busyness and work and all of that is accurate and sin. And, and we need to battle because you know what? There are some people that need prayer. They need deliverance. They need healing. Do you know who I'm talking about? I mean, think about who that is in your world. Let's battle for them. Let's battle for this church. Let's battle for your mom who is struggling with who knows what. Your dad. Your coworker. Let's battle. We got to battle for this church. The enemy is trying to discourage, distract, slow down, bring all kinds of obstacles in the way. We got to battle for this church, Harvest Bible Chapel Reading. Are you willing to do that? Try applying these four principles we looked at. I promise you they're going to help you. They're going to help you battle. 